time we talked about domestic violence and how it's affecting our lives because it's much too hot let's stop it from destroying our lives adversary to ally adversary to ally For those of you who are new to this program, this is the podcast where men talk about domestic violence and child abuse, as well as intimate relationship violence. Why? Because men are beating the crap out of women, killing them, killing children, and we're trying to figure out why this is happening. My guest today is a man, a former Connecticut resident who is now living in South Carolina. And when he was a teenager, his sister was murdered by her husband, actually stabbed to death in a domestic violence incident that actually changed his life. Let's get him on the show and listen to what he has to say. My name is Kenneth Thompson. I'm the executive, executive director and founder of the Gussie Rhythm Foundation Incorporated. I used to be a past resident of uh, Connecticut for most of my life. Now I live in South Carolina, Middle Beach, South Carolina. Um, I coach, I mentor, I tutor, I um, do work with um, kids and recreation. I've been coaching for about probably 30 years plus now. I've been running a foundation since 2004 in honor of my sister who was um, brutally murdered by her husband when I was a teenager. Yes, and that is, of course, what you're doing on the show today to talk about that and to talk about domestic violence and how it affects people's lives. How did that affect your life? First of all, would you like to uh, mention your sister's name? Gussie Wortham is her name. And how old was she? At the time, she was in her early 30s. Now, was this her husband, a longtime boyfriend, or um, was this something that was an ongoing thing, or did it just happen out of the blue, clear blue sky? It was her husband. She was in the process of leaving. So instead of him just as a man, okay, dealing with it, he decides that if, you know, no one can have her, if she, if he can't have her. So he ended up stabbing her to death. Wow. That is, um, any children involved there that saw this? Yes. Or? At the time, she had uh, three daughters and a son. Wow. And what ended up happening to her husband? Her husband spent about maybe 10 years in prison, and then that was it. And he eventually he passed away from AIDS. And that is just incredible to me that someone could take, stab someone to death and spend just 10 years of their lives behind bars. And it's that old um, sick saying that if I can't have you, nobody else can have you or I can't live without you, which we, of course, we know is just um, sheer nonsense. Um, let me ask you, how did that affect you? as her brother? Um, that was my best friend. So I was angry for quite a few years. It made me really, really angry. Did you? I carried, um, a, I carried a lot on my chest. Was there um, any, um, I, was there any support there for you as the, um, a, as a victim, so to speak? Was there any support there for you? At that time, no, there wasn't any support. Because um, at the time, my mom, she took on the challenge of, of raising her four grandchildren as her own. 
So, I mean, they didn't, she didn't want them to go to foster care or to someone else. So she took on that responsibility. So there wasn't really a lot of time for us to, as we say, go to therapy and to get right. some, some type of help, some type of support, whether it be mentally, physically, or emotionally. We didn't have that. And so how did you, how did you cope with this? How did you come to terms with what happened to your sister? I don't think I, I've came to terms still. I mean, I've, I've grown out of the angry stage. I mean, I I consume myself with trying to help people, doing positive things, through my coaching, through the foundation, through just volunteering and giving back. But still, the, the anger is still there somewhat because it was unnecessary. You know, there was no just cause for it to happen. And what about your nieces and nephews? How how What has life been like for them? How old were they when this happened? At the time, they were they were they weren't even teenagers yet. They were very young, and then my then my youngest one, she was she was just a baby. Yeah, she was she was a baby. And have you have you kind of um, um, seen how this has affected them growing up without not only without their mother, uh, but also without their father, and that he committed such a heinous act against their mother? Have, have you guys, have you been able to talk to them about that or have they been able to share their feelings about that? We we talk about it every so often, but as far as um how they've handled it, they've seen to handle it well, except for my oldest niece. She seemed to have went through a lot of mental mental issues because of it. But everybody else seems to be handling it pretty well. And has there been has she been able to get into therapy? Because let's face it, this is a this is a major, major thing in a child's life. Um, you were, I think, an adult when this happened and um, it affected it affected you and it still affects you. So I'm wondering for them, it must really, really be traumatic. Thank God your mother was there to kind of st- kind of step in and give them that um, love and support that they needed after that time. But I'm still wondering about their mental health, uh, particularly as we know that so many young children who witness this or who come from this really have a tough time growing up. Right. Um, at the time, I was a teenager. I was in high school. I was oh, you were in high school. school. Okay. Yes. I was, I was. Matter of fact, I was going into my sophomore year of high school. And to add on to what happened 10 months after that, my father was also killed. He was wow. murdered, and I. Well, let's get into that a little bit. Was was he involved in anything that would um, bring about his death like this, or was this just a random act of murder? It was a it was a, a, a robbery gone bad. A person robbed him and then pushed him down a flight of stairs, and he ended up breaking his neck. Yeah, he wasn't involved in anything. He was, you know, he was a city employee. He was a he was a father. I mean. He, I mean, he had his issues, but there there weren't issues that right. would get him killed or anything, you know. So. That is, um, so you've really had some really, really particular, uh, particularly rough times when it comes to violence, not only domestic violence, but just random um, violence. That is really, really tough uh, to deal with. I know that here in Connecticut, um, last year, more than 40,000 people reached out um, to the domestic violence hotline because of things that were happening to them. Do you think that the pandemic has had any, any? Um, do you think it's responsible for a lot of the, the surge of domestic violence that we're seeing? 
I think people want to believe that, but I, I think it's been an ongoing thing regardless of the pandemic. I mean, because you, you you even have people in fluential neighborhoods that go through it. So, But a lot of that stuff is not reported. So you can imagine, you said 40,000. Imagine the ones that's not being reported. That's not reported, right? Which I think they account for like 36% or 40% of domestic violence cases, um, or uh, as they put it, domestic violence injuries go unreported. Right. And um, women and children don't even go, and men for that matter who are abused, mm-hmm. don't, go to, don't go to the hospital. Uh, what do you think drives this anger with men that they take their, that they take it out on, helpless victims let's face it you know you, if you're a man you can pretty much um you're just stronger than women and so uh, what do you think drives this this you know this outpouring of violence against women i think a lot of it is a cycle that they're, they've already been a part of because you're not going to do something that you haven't learned before so it's a learned behavior somebody had to abuse that person for them to decide that it was okay to abuse another person also, is power, self-worth, insecurities. It's, it's a lot of variables to, to, to that dynamic of someone being an abusive person, you know. But never, no one never takes the time out to not only talk to the victim, but also to the abuser. The first the thing abuser. they do is punish the abuser instead of finding out what stemmed, what made that happen, what, what made that person decide that this was okay. You know, what in their life made them think that being violent towards someone, even you got even animals that's involved in domestic violence. Yeah, you know, we've yeah. we've seen we've seen cases where we would go into houses and you raise your voice a certain octave and the voice. The, the, the dog goes in a corner and pees or, or he balls up in a, in a knot and he's trembling or she's trembling or whatever, whatever animal there is. So it's, you know, it's that kick the dog syndrome. You know, I'm having a bad day. So everybody else around me is going to have a bad day. going to have a fit. bad day, too. You know, I've been talking to a couple of um, uh, younger guys, uh, so to speak, and asking them um, what did they think were some of the problems and what led men to be so violent against women. Um, And what they're telling me is they believe it's this macho, macho stuff that men, particularly black men, feel that they have to, this facade that they have to put on, that they're tough, um, that you know, things don't hurt them. And when things are hurting them or when they feel that they're losing control, that's when they lash out. Um, it's this whole macho, macho thing. What do you what do you think about that? Do you think I, do you think I, I disagree a- with that? I disagree with that as an excuse to, to to hit on someone, because why would you why would you because you're feeling pain? Like, why would you let somebody know you're hurting? Why wouldn't you be a man and, and say what you're feeling? Say how you're hurting. Instead of reacting that way, there's nothing macho about hitting someone. No, there's Whether not. Whether or, or, or woman or anybody, it's, it's just, it's nothing macho about that. I don't understand why someone would even have that thought process that that's, that's the thing, it's being macho. No, it's nothing macho about, but think of it this way. Let's say that's your sister or your mother or your grandmother or your aunt or any, any female relative in your, in, your, in your family. Would you want another man hitting on them? And you would think that's macho? No, you wouldn't. Which well, is, I, I don't, you know, I don't that's one of those macho things. That's one of those things that really um, bugs me about men who are beating their wives and so forth. They have mothers. Most have sisters. You know, most a lot have children who are girls. And uh, you know, I say to myself, you know, what would you do if somebody, if some man hit your mother or hit your 
girlfriend or hit your kid, it would you would go ballistic. So what makes you think you have the right uh, to, uh, to do this? And let's understand something. Men are really, it's not just, you know, a smack across the face. It's stabbing. It's shooting. It's, uh, we had not too long ago, a man who jumps out of the car and just shoots his wife to death in front of their children over, I think it was a uh, check, you know, one of the um, stimulus checks. She didn't give him part of the stimulus check or whatever. What kind of thinking is that? And how can we reverse that kind of thinking? What do you think needs to be done to kind of reverse this type of thinking? It's, it's kind of tough to say because there's so many things you can be done. People always, the first thing people think is prison time. I think these guys need to, to go into some type of therapy to, to get some kind of help. Also, my thing too with, with this whole thing, a lot of people always say, oh, you need to get a restraining order. I've, I've seen cases where people with restraining orders still got killed by their husbands. Right. There was an instance in Connecticut, matter of fact, where a woman was on the phone calling the police had a restraining order and her husband was killing her while she was on the phone with 911. That's correct. So, you know, it's, it's so many things that could be done. It's just a matter of who who's going to make those things happen. Legislation or whatever is going to make them happen. Or even the community as a whole can make it happen. Law enforcement, whoever. You know, what what are we doing in the medical field to help help these men? Even these women that are abusing other women that's in, in, in you know, same-sex relationships. Because... You have it, you have, you, domestic violence is universal. You know, it's everywhere. You know, man on man, woman on woman, you even got child on child. You know, you got dating violence. So, so where, where do we get to the root of the problem? First, it's by talking to the abuser. And the victim doesn't know why they're getting beat on. They have no idea. Let's get to the root of the problem of the abuser. What happened to them prior to them becoming the way they are to make them the way they are? We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. I want to just remind people that Adversary to Ally is a joint partnership between Real Talk, Real People and Karina Martin of Mothers of Victims Equality. And the purpose of this show is to talk to men about violence and why so much violence is being perpetrated against women. And we're doing it in an effort to find solutions and stop this violence. Now, let's get back to Kenneth. That's one of the things, uh, one of the reasons why Karina and I formed this partnership, because no one is talking to the perpetrators. You know, as you said, there is, you know, they go out, they get a restraining order or, or whatever, but no one is getting to the root of why why men are behaving so violently against women. And I have to be frank, when I call around and attempt to get information, there's not too much emphasis on it. You know, it's all about the women. It's never about um, helping the man um, and getting him to a point where he stops this kind of behavior. And, you know, it's, um, and just to make a slight reference here, it's like I was listening to some psychiatrists talking and they were talking about pedophiles. And they say the reason, one of the reasons why we can't get ahead of this is because they won't talk about it because what we do is immediately lock them up and take away their freedom. So we can't find out what is going on in their minds. It's kind of the same thing with domestic yep. violence. We don't right. take the time to talk to the perpetrators. But yep. let's face it, there are some really critical things that are, are going on, and it's becoming worse and worse. We had a man here just confess to throwing his baby 
killing his wife and then throwing his baby in the river. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, you know, when we talk about mental health, we really severely lack mental health services in this country. And it's yes. almost as if we just um, assume that everybody comes out happy-go-lucky and goes about their life in a happy-go-lucky way, and we know that that's not true. I don't think it affects the, the, the people that, that are influential. That's what it is. Once it starts affecting those people a little bit more and it becomes a spotlight, then I think there'll be more attention put on it. You know, But men- mental health has been something we've been dealing with from all our lives. You know, slavery, you know, civil rights. You had to you had to be mentally tough to deal with some of that stuff. Being hoes, dogs sick on you, being whipped, you know, being, you know, people in your family being castrated. You know, you had to we had to be as a people, first of all, to be mentally tough to deal with all that stuff. But then our thing is with us. We don't talk about it. We don't talk. It's about like it. taboo. It's like taboo for uh, people of color to, to talk about what they're going through mentally. You know, you got to stay strong. You got to stay tough. You can't talk about it. You're not being a man or you're not being, you know, you're not being a grown up. You, no, you you being a grown up when you do talk about it, you need to let those feelings out. You need the people to know how you're feeling. Otherwise, it's going to be pent up anger for the rest just of your pent life. Up anger. And, and it's I not think, healthy. And we all come from that background where our fathers told us or our mothers told us, now, you're a boy. Stop crying. Little boys don't cry. You know, yep. you're not supposed to feel pain. It's like when uh, that bigger guy on the corner knocks you in your chest, playing with you like playfully boxing. And you're mm-hmm. trying to act like that this blow that he just put on your chest isn't hurting yep. you. But that's what we're taught. That's what we're taught. And I wonder how that is translating into your everyday uh, relationship. One of the other things we talked about was that many men don't see women as their partner. Do you mm. agree with that? Um, I'm going to say yes or no. Some, some men are a little intimidated by a woman that makes more money than them or has a higher employee status than them. Some people seem to be threatened by that for some reason. That doesn't bother me at all. Because if we're, if we're supposed to be a team, we're a team no matter we're what. We're a team. You know, we work together. I, th- I think that thing is is, is is crazy for some reason. I don't know why people have that mindset. Because you got to think back. Who took care of you? Your mother. <laughs> so yeah. she she was sometimes your mother, your father. She was your, your friend, your confidant. She was everything. So if guy, if people really stopped and thought about that, who's the, who's the strongest person in your household? To me, that was my mother. My mother is my mentor. She's my role model. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that would be, you know, something I could say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't think me, women and men, are, I think sometimes women are more than us, a little, you know, they're better than us sometimes because they, they're the nurturers. Yeah, and I've had that conversation many times with um, some black men who don't tend to agree with that, and I and I tend to say to them, who do you think got us out of slavery? It wasn't black men, it was, it was black women who got got us out of slavery who takes care of the family now who's opening up the businesses who's who you know who's in politics it's a black women are very very strong and i don't know maybe maybe how were you born say what you born how were you born (laughs) yeah how were you born (laughs) your mother birthed you (laughs) yeah which is the reason why i don't understand this violence against women you know Mm -hmm. and why you have this outlook on women when a woman raised you fed you taught you yep. most of the things that you know, you know, so, you know, it's, it's really strange. 
Well, I, I just want to get back to uh, one more question here, and that is family and how domestic violence um, affects the family. And in your particular case, it really, it really affected, uh, really had a, 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 a big impact on you because um, the children no longer with the mother, now with the grandmother, which of course disrupts her life. She's a grandmother. She's not supposed to be raising children. She's supposed to be spoiling children at, at this point. So there is a huge dynamic that happens within the family when something like this happens. Um, what is your advice to people who have had, who's, who have had domestic violence um, change the course of their lives? Um. My advice to them is just continue to live your life. I mean, you you know the signs now. You know what to expect when you're around someone and because you've experienced domestic violence. I mean, but also you need to tell your story because someone might need that, just need to hear what you went through so that it'll help them. Like I, I try to tell women, like I, I spoke at a methadone clinic one time in, in Connecticut. So I had my, my question to the women, I posed to them, why do you, Continue to so support a man that's in prison. A lot of them gave me a bunch of different answers. So I said to them, think about this. There's a man out there right now that could be in your life helping you out. But you're helping a man that's incarcerated, that's talking to maybe seven or eight women, calling them collect. And you're sending them clothing and all these other things. Where are they going? There's no picture days in prison. There's no field trips in prison. So why are you supporting them again then? Also, why are you not supporting your children the way you're supporting this man? You know, but then when he, gets, when he gets out, you never see him. Now what? You know, they got quiet then. I didn't hear anything. Nobody had a response to it. So sometimes we, we, we look for love in the wrong places or supposed love in the wrong places. And then the wrong people, I mean, I know people in prison, they need someone to care about, they need somebody to love, but some of those people are there to manipulate, just like some people are in the real world are around to manipulate you for the things they can get from you. So when it comes to family and, 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 and doing those things to, to help you in a domestic violence situation, think of your family, your outside family first before you start taking care of somebody on the inside. You know, your family that's that's with you, your, your your physical family, take care of them first. Let them prepare them for things. You know, I mean, sometimes you got to prepare for the worst, but people people prepare for hurricanes. They prepare for floods. They prepare for snowstorms. Why can't you prepare for, you know, dangerous situations in your household? Like I tell people, make sure you got, you know, adequate ID. Open up your own bank account. You know, get an extra social security card. Get, you know, make a, you know, Get an apartment and then make sure that you don't tell any of your relatives or anybody where you live, because a lot of people are quick to tell, oh, she moved over to so-and-so. Next thing you know, he's he's there. Sometimes you got to isolate yourself when it comes to family, too. You know, you, you can't tell certain people certain things because they're going to go back and tell that person because nine times out of ten, they have a relationship with that person. You know, and they're not thinking they're thinking, well, OK, well, you know, those two need to be together. No, that's the reason why she left, because he's hurting her. So when it comes to family, you just have to be real careful with how you how you proceed after you go through something as far as domestic violence. And what changes would you like to see law enforcement make when it comes to handling domestic violence situations? Well, they've made some changes um, and I don't think they're for the good, because right now they're to the point where they take both people that are involved in the situation. 
That's but correct. also, and speaking to police officers, they they rather go to a bank robbery than go into a domestic violence. <laughs> <situation. laughs> yes, I know. You know, I know they rather go because they don't know. It's really strange, happen. isn't it? Yep, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if that that female or that male is going to turn if you're arresting their loved one or supposed loved one. You know, but then now you got to think again if there's children in the house. Now those children are being separated. Now you got social services or whoever come DCF coming in and taking those kids out of out of the situation. Out of the dynamic now everybody's you know you got two parents locked up you got kids separated now that needs to change that needs that to change that well here here in connecticut i do know that they just formed a um task force i guess it is or uh and what they're going to do is when in, instead of police having the lead when they go on these domestic violence um um calls they're going to have a therapist or some type of therapist that could help um, calm the situation down, de-escalate the situation, and in hopes that that will lower the temperature and um, and hopefully um, the violence that is associated with it. Um, Kenneth, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Is there anything that um, I haven't asked you that you think is important? Uh, you pretty much asked the, the, the right questions, the questions that need to be asked as far as domestic violence goes. And and do you think um, talking about these situations um, could perhaps lead to changes or at least some solutions to, um, to stem this tide of violence? Yeah, I think so. I think more people like me and you, more men, should have have to be a part of the conversation. You know, we have well, to know what what the women go through. You know, we also need to know what men go through, what the children go through. I mean, in order order to to understand something, you have to sit and listen sometimes so we need to be a part of those conversations even if we're just a you know someone just just observing the conversation we need we need to be there because a lot of times it's, it's mostly you know a group of women you know talking about these issues and not a group of men i think we need to form a group of men that talk about these issues also because it affects everyone